Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, this is Jessie and you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under, a podcast where we explore the cultural landscape of Asian feminism in Australia and abroad. We're two Taiwanese women who want to create a platform to share our ideas about feminism, gender, representation, and sexuality. I'm here with my sister. Hey, Helen. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, so this week, guys, um, we wanted to talk about the film that everyone is talking about because we're Taiwanese. And it is, of course, Alan Yang's Tiger Tail. There are not many takes by the Western gays about Taiwan. Uh, and during this time when racism against Asians is on the rise with the impact of the pandemic, we felt it was a fitting choice to discuss a cultural artifact that is simply trying to narrativize people who look like us. And that is a very powerful thing. Before we start talking about the film, we wanted first to say that this conversation will not be craft-based. And what I mean when I say this is that we'll be more focused on the actual story and our relationship with it, rather than, say, the cinematography or the sound effects or editing, things like that. And uh, we want to tell you about the film as it stands, as a story, and the, what the power of that story means for Asian representation across Western zones. Also, spoiler alert... If you haven't watched it, well, go away. It's on Netflix. It dropped uh, over the uh, Easter weekend. And uh, watch it and come back because uh, that's what we'll be doing, talking about the film in detail. So let's start uh, at the beginning. Helen, uh, why don't you tell us the premise of the film? So we have the um, opening of the film, which, which um, you see uh, um, on the, like a rice field or a farm. Uh, there's a little boy running across the across the rice field. The boy returns home in his farm shack, you know, and uh, when his grand, grandma comes out and hides him inside a cabinet, um, when we have some sort of inspection from the um, army, which we call them, uh, they're the KMT, which stands for Kuomintang. Uh, so they're inspecting and surveying each house. There are two soldiers who come and uh, the boy is hiding in the cabinet and then uh, eventually they leave. Yep. And then we jump to the present day. What happens now? Oh, so there's an incredible, incredibly awkward scene um, with uh, the female character, which we later know is the daughter of the protagonist um, she was driving him home which uh, he was coming back from Taiwan um, and what's he the, was uh, what's the protagonist's name oh Pin Ray Pin Ray okay Pin Ray yeah and I think I, I, I read up the review there's actually an English name for him but it never appeared um, verbally in the film the English name is Grover Oh, right, but no one actually calls him Grover. Yeah, no one actually calls him Grover. Maybe it was edited out some scene yeah. and then it just eventually never happened, you know. Well, anyway, so he was at the trip to Taiwan where he was um, burying, you know, he was there burying his mother, the funeral and things like that, yeah. Um, so now the scene of the the, woman, the daughter who is played by Christine Ko, who is criminally good-looking, um, she's stunning, so she's driving her dad, um, and uh, I know for me, I don't know, Hell, if you remember any scenes from your life, but this one was straight out of my life. On countless occasions, when my parents came back from Taiwan and I'm picking them up from the airport, our like hour-long drive back to their home is literally in silence. Like I literally have to scrape things out of them uh, to to make them speak. They're very, they're very, very quiet people. Alan Yang. This is the director. He um, he's the co-creator of um, Master of None. He said in an interview that um, he loves. So this character is played. The present father figure is played by Tsi Ma, who uh, you might know from, or I know, I knew from Rush Hour. He was the dad, but also he was the dad in Lulu Wang's The Farewell, which came out last year. 
Um, so Alan Yang said that um, he loves this Shima because of his face. It's so expressive and it says so much. With um, he's just yeah, he's got a very expressive face, according to Alan Yang. Um, do you like him as an actor? Yeah, I I like him as an actor. That I like only like when doing the research for this film, I looked up um, Tima. Yeah, um, I did too. <laughs> which, funny enough, I think his his first name T is um, possibly pronounced in Cantonese because I'm I'm going off a bit from the film here because um, I, when I looked up his Chinese character, it, it you know it's it's a totally different pronunciation. How do you say anyway? It? Uh, Thai, oh. Ma Thai, oh. yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. And with doing when I was doing the research for the film, there's a uh, review and uh, just an interview with LA Times about T Ma and the journalist uh, Jane Yamamoto. She's saying that um, her her title of her article is saying that T Ma is already everyone's go-to Asian dance. Oh, my God. I roll. Because I don't know if he's going to be stereotyped after, <laughs> you know, the films that he made for the past couple of years because yeah. he's been playing Asian dad. Yeah. You know, from maybe Russia in the 90s. Oh, my God. And then, and then The Farewell. Now, The Farewell and also Mulan. Oh, he was in Mulan. God. Oh, we haven't really? seen Mulan. Oh. Oh, well, I haven't seen Mulan, so. That's so fucking stupid. Like, it's, it's just fucking basic the way that yeah. you know like this guy plays a father for like two three films and suddenly he's american's asian dad yeah. it's like yeah. jesus he doesn't have I, I think there's a there's a funny bit here that because he doesn't have kids of his own oh that's interesting so we that um I don't know also that in that article uh from la times um he has actually been praised by all the his on-screen daughters um well, what does that supposed to mean what Oh, he's just saying that I think Sandra Oh had worked with him as well. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not quite sure which film that he was in with Sandra Oh, but he was he played a, like a paternal figure oh. with her mm. on screen, mm. and also Aquafina and now Christine Cole, who's you know all Hot. been the characters of Seema's daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the movie or maybe on the t- on the TV series. So what are they saying? What these? What do have these women said about him? That he's a good father figure? Yeah, they oh. say that he's a good father figure. Sure, because it's performance. I, I think it's definitely performance. I think he played very well as an Asian dad because you can see from how he's... Um, there's a couple of scenes that in the movie that where you see that he's just been alone and his facial expression and also his body language. Yeah. It's just... I don't know. It, it resonates with me because I feel like that's how our father, right. yeah. you know. Yeah. It's the still solid, cold Asian father face. It's it's. It reminds me of, I remember seeing, um, what is it, The First Man with Ryan Gosling with Billy and Kyle. And um, and afterwards we were talking about how it's it's so, like the sort of dull expression of Ryan Gosling's mid-century masculinity of that cold repressed remoteness is now supposed to be a stand-in for what is what a real man should look like or behave like it just reminds me of that well well, like ryan gosling's face is now the 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 representation of every single white man out there like no it's not and and the reason why the media has done this to tima is only because there are so few asian male faces in you know in Hollywood and also Asian male faces who are over the age of 50 right there's a dispute as well because what I've seen from a lot uh, some of the like the actual Chinese review and also I've asked around you know my friends who was in like who's that with the Asian background after they see but there's definitely like um, critics saying that oh why did he pick him as a as a protagonist for yeah. this film because he's not for one he's not Chinese background yeah I was thinking yeah that. and and they do question about his accent and things like that but I think it, it is like the representation is a bit, a bit of struggle because there's not enough you know of course there's not enough actors yeah. in that field to fulfill this role but I think Zima has 
definitely done a good job. Yeah. So um, let's backtrack to the film a bit. Um, that scene that opens the film where the boy is running across the field. So this this whole film is told through flashback. Um, I don't know what happened to you, Hill, but I began sobbing really bad at the first at that first few scenes that first scene where the boy is calling out to his parents in Taiwanese I just get really super fucking emotional when I hear Taiwanese because it conjures up really deep repressed things inside me like all the parts of me that I've unknowingly suppressed or killed because being in Australia has for a lot of reasons made me feel like I need to you know the intense extreme endeavor to try and fit in and so naturally that meant shaving off parts of myself that were different and of course the first thing to go was my language so um, I don't speak Taiwanese now um, but my our parents most of the time they communicate in Taiwanese or at least when we were growing up completely exclusively in Taiwanese but um but now now not now mostly Mandarin but Helen so Helen is six years older than me hell you can speak Mandarin uh, Taiwanese right yeah, I can still speak some Chinese, but some of my like really native Chinese friends will joke about my accent or yeah. certain pronunciations yeah. that I just couldn't say it. I, I talking about this just if we don't want to talk about Chinese. Yeah. Um, I find it really funny that um, when I was growing up, yeah, Mum used to say that I my pronunciation is very poor. Of Taiwanese. As in, I can't, yeah, of Taiwanese. I can't even pronounce five in Taiwanese How properly say, to a standard. Five? Well, to me, it sounds like go. So and then I, I hear mum saying that uh-huh. back to me. And I thought that, okay, my received side is that, yeah, that's how I, I should pronounce it. But but she always saying that, no, you're incorrect. Oh, so, that's not nice. But I, I think, like, until I studied linguistic years, you know, a couple of years ago, I understand what she's saying because... There is probably a very subtle differences, but I couldn't get it because I didn't grow up in that environment oh. of everyone speaking the language. Right. So how yeah. how, how so, do you say one to ten really quickly in Taiwanese? God, I love that language so much. It's unlike any other language in the world. I think it's just so. Beautiful. I think it's a connection. I think what why we call it the mother tongue, you know, like fundamentally, I, I would still call my like Chinese as my mother tongue because the, in, the importance of the nativeness of it and in the importance of the connection of us and yeah. perhaps our older generations. Yeah, totally. That, like, I think that's what I, makes me emotional. Yeah, I, I think it's so important because I have a like. I don't know about you and our other siblings mm. have a deep connection to our grandparents mm. and on our mother's side, mm. like Ama, mm. like I think she was the only elderly that we speak, like try or we at least we try to speak a lot oh, of Chinese to her yeah. when she was visiting us in Ta- here or when we, you know, in elderly in Taiwan. Whereas all other yeah. elderly will probably speak more Mandarin. So, um. Was Taiwanese your first language? Um, I believe Taiwanese is my first language. Do you know what? Maybe Taiwanese was my first language as well, but I just I don't know whether it was Chinese, Mandarin or Taiwanese because I've never asked my mum. And but also there's a um, there's so when Helen and I we're one of four. When we were growing up, my our father really loved uh, recording footage of us um, singing, dancing, you know, everyday life when we went on holidays. Um, which, you know, when I look back on this, so I really cherish those videos of us. Um, but there is a video that I saw a couple of years ago. I haven't seen any of them recently, but the first time I saw it as an adult, there's a video of me when I'm about three years old and I'm speaking in fluent Taiwanese to my parents. And it's so incredible. It's like I used to have this superpower and now it's gone. It's a very weird feeling because seeing seeing that because our our parents yeah like i said they only ever spoke taiwanese to each other um yeah um but i love i think it's like like i say it's a connection yeah and something that perhaps i wonder if our parents treasure between them you know the, that uniqueness between them two that's something they can share be, just between them two yeah a secret 
sort of, at least here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, like just like I know Lise, Lisa's other sister, Lisa and I, when we went shopping when we were much younger in Carlingford Court, we used to, like if we didn't like someone who was like, say someone was being mean to us while, while we're standing in the supermarket line, we would just start swearing at them in Mandarin. Or like talking. I, I honestly think a lot of people like have a similar background to us. Would have, would have done that. Yeah, yeah, that's not original at all. But I, I love that. I love any film that has characters talking in Taiwanese. I think it really makes me realize the importance of being depicted. I don't know if you remember. You probably have. You probably wouldn't remember because you know you can. When you when you move when we moved to Australia, you were only like four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel a sense of really deep um, connection when I was seeing the, the, the beginning of the film, yeah. um, because that's the um, probably the similar place that we used to go to when you know our mothers, parents like farm. They had rice field, and um, you, we had a big group of cousins that we would just spend the whole weekend together. Yeah. And during the cold, cold, you know, weathers, we'll probably bake sweet potatoes, and it's just a familiarity for me. Yeah. yeah. And it really makes me. It it makes me think on a very deep level how. How different my life would have been if I grew up in a world where I had these narratives shown back to me you know like if if there were characters that i read in books who were asian women or asian girls or like movies that centered the asian woman i wonder whether i would feel different or move differently through the world with you know a, a sense of stronger a more strengthened sense of entitlement or self-confidence perhaps you know i think that's that's something yeah yeah um, I, I think that's something um, kind of troubled, well, at least troubled me, uh, like trying to search for our own identity where we didn't know whether or not that we fit into the society of Australia. Mm. Um, yeah. There was um, one of the articles, um, hold on a sec if I can find it. There was something from... Um, Wolchard, one of the online, yeah. I think it's a film critic, where he, the, the journalist interviewed with Alan Young, and Alan Young actually said that growing up feeling being Asian is actually a, an impediment. impediment. You know, so he questioned about what is normal, yeah. and he always wanted to feel normal, you yeah, know, exactly. with a group of Caucasians where he was growing up. Yeah, and he also said that the transformation of what being really meant to be in Chinese really mm. impact him a lot in the past five years uh, with making of this film. Yeah. Yeah, and I also want to say that it meant a lot for me that this was a narrative made by someone with Taiwanese heritage and it was centred on a Taiwanese character. That really, mm -hmm. for me, like because often Ta the... The cultural, I mean, obviously, and political aspects of Taiwan, which we won't go into, but um, just often when Taiwan is talked about, it's swallowed by China, you know? It's just, it's never treated on its own terms, and it's often just overshadowed by larger nations that have managed, for whatever reason, mostly economics, um, reasons that um, have penetrated the Western culture, uh, and people just, a lot of people I know don't understand a lot about Taiwan. So it, for me, it meant a lot that this was a story that centered a Taiwanese family. Yeah, yeah, same for me. And especially uh, like a Taiwanese immigrant to, to America. You know, I, I feel the same. And I, I think um, a lot of first or second generation immigrants that came from Taiwan would definitely resonate, have a, a lot of similar feelings to us. We know when they're watching the film. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. A lot of these conversations you and I are having held at the moment, it reminded me of an incredibly important book I read recently by an Italian philosopher called Adriana Cavero, 
Uh, it was called Narrating Narratives, Storytelling and Selfhood. And in it, she tells the story of the Milan's Woman's Book Store Collective, where essentially a few female writers get together and they tell each other's stories. So, for, for example, Anna spends a year interviewing Patricia and writes Patricia's story and vice versa. And what ended up happening, Caveras discovers, is that when a woman's story is told back to her, she ends up weeping really hard because it's often their first time recognizing themselves as the object of their own desires put into story. And she calls this the reciprocal narrative exchange. So do you mind if I just read a few lines from her book? Uh, go ahead. So she says... The representation of oneself and of one's fellow women in relation to the world is fundamental. Many women have no experience of an interactive space of exhibition. Although women live in the world, this is an existence that the patriarchal tradition tends to synthesize within the catalogue of feminine qualities that reduce the who to the what. So, for example, down to the wife the mother, the nurse, the daughter. And I think much much in the same way Asians have been essentialized and stereotyped by the white gaze in a very narrow way, a way that often deforms us and, you know, with really gross consequences. It's basically, for me, a yearning that we, we are seen according to our own terms, right? Um, I, I know I've lived with years of repression of not having my history feel like it means something and that it deserves to be written about and shot and made into a movie and projected, you know, that it's not normalized the way that white, a, a story about a white person is normalized. And I guess that relates back to what Alan Yang was saying about, you know, never seeing his own story being so-called normal. Yeah, as in no not really mainstream because you're essentially growing up and, you know, living in a Western country. And um, I don't know, I, I'm not quite sure about you, but because I watch, you know, I watch films and dramas and TV programs, I jump in between the Asian and the Western America yeah, and, you know, British, I jump around. So to me, I feel like there's a possibly like a there's an equal representation in my what I watch um so I, I get a I kind of get a lot of sense of what's coming up in particularly in Taiwanese film industry and what's becoming popular in Taiwan but I, I do agree that I really want to see more media books or films about um you know Asian women um, in Western countries, you know, there's a representation that is really required. Um, I mean, from the past two years with the farewell and the crazy rich Asian, I, I don't know. I know the farewell is like a semi-fictional, isn't it? Yeah. And a crazy, crazy rich Asian is just to me. It's I, I didn't like the film. Okay, so um, let's go back to the film. So the film Helen is told in flashbacks, like we said. And um, so, okay. So we have a scene about of him, Pim Ray, dating the girl um, who he actually met when he was younger. So that he takes her to a fancy restaurant. He's not very well off, but he wanted to impress her. Yeah. So the scene is where they're eating. Yeah, it doesn't really show us her food, isn't it? Yeah, that was disappointing. They, I hate when they, I hate when they cut. I hate when they never show the actors eating. <laughs> it's like I want to see people eat. I think it's probably they think eating is not that important. Perhaps there's no interactions or something like that. Oh, right. I don't know. Also, but I can see it. There's, there's, there's scenes of eating when Pete is alone. Okay, wait, we'll get to that later. But fuck, that was so heartbreaking. But um, yeah, no one should ever eat alone. Period. Oh my god. Um, but no, the um, the scene where um, the scene where he is taking this girl, his uh, crush, um, uh, to a very fancy restaurant, and then they cut to like pre, like they cut from the waiter taking their order to them finishing their meal was very disappointing because I just 
I like seeing yeah, the food. There's a really stupid mandatory lovers hold hand kind of running slow-mo sequence right after. Because mm-hmm. he, they bolt, they do a runner. Yeah, they did a runner and then it just had to be like a slow motion. Yeah, oh my god. I Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the script mm-hmm. really quickly. I thought yeah. it, it was, like for me, a film script is like the heart of a human being. It really is the essence of whether or not, you know, this person is worth my time or not. And, like, <laughs> I'm, I guess if I use that same analogy, then this, this film is really, really bad. But, um, like I said at the very beginning, let's just concentrate not on the craft of it, <laughs> um, of the film, but the story that it carries. Um, the script, I think, uh, was almost, like, uh, written by a high school kid. It was so it was very dry it was um very awkward it was very clunky it didn't feel natural at all it's very textbook english dialogue do you think um you feel the same way for both english and the mandarin slash chinese dialogue Um, that's a great question i wouldn't be able to comment because i don't know well i i don't know what the what is the standard for the... Yeah, for Chinese, yeah, I guess, Chinese, dialect is. Yeah. What, 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 cons- what, is, what constitutes good Chinese rhythm and flow in conversation? I wouldn't know because I'm not surrounded by that. And also, I have never studied Chinese cin- cinema. Okay, my opinion, you know, the Taiwanese slash Mandarin part was a bit awkward okay. in the restaurant scene. Yeah. And all the other conversations mm. apart from where they spoke Chinese, the Mandarin part was definitely awkward and didn't flow out well. Yeah. I think that's um, I, I think that's the issue with the actors as well. Um, the actress who played um, Pim Ray's mother, yeah. uh, Yang Guimei, uh, she's actually a very top actress in Taiwan. So I think the, the only one of the good things is that they cast a very authentic Chinese um, act- actress for the film is Yang Guimei. Yeah, I like her. Uh, I liked her. Yeah. Her conversation and the, her flow of dialect was just very natural. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, it, she really re- um, shown the, how the, the mother figure yeah. in, you know, in that, in that era, how she was represented. Yeah. I also wanted to say something really quickly about the music. Okay. The music was so irritating. Like any time, f- the theme, the motive keeps returning countless times. It's a violin melody that keeps returning numerous times throughout the movie. And any kind of soundtrack that has an overabundant use of recurring, um, I, the same melody over and over again, I find very suffocating. It's like it's it's like the equivalent of a chokehold. It's like the director saying, "Fucking cry, audience, cry, goddammit, feel something." It's really insulting for one. Like, don't tell me how to feel, goddammit. And also, just a cheap way, a cheap way of making film. Um, but after he goes on a date with the boss's daughter, he then meets, races off to meet his his the girl he loves. And they have a scene where they start kissing and then it cuts, obviously, it, it cuts. Um, well, like, um, it's just, it's really hilarious the way they do it because it, it feels like a very sort of old-fashioned, archaic tactic that directors used to make in the 50s or 60s. Like, they cut after the kissing to the couple and the woman has her, the girl has her shirt up, her, like her blouse, yeah, undone and then she's still got the bra on and then the guy is shirtless, <laughs> indicating like it's like the cinematic in, in, sign, yeah, sin, sin, yeah, signaling that they've just copulated, <laughs> for, fornicated. Um, but no, I mean, I wish just for the sake of need, we need to see more Asians fucking. <laughs> um, um, I think the reason, I'm, I'm guessing the reason they haven't said it out like that. Because, because it's PG. It's P- one, it's PG, okay? And two, he really wants to make a, you know, very authentic of the, maybe the 60s. You know, he wants oh, to make it as... Of yeah. course, yeah. And people in the 50s didn't fuck. Yeah, well, 
on screen. <laughs> but also it was really funny to see where they were. Like I remember at the scene afterwards where they're just kind of sitting on the stone rock. Like it's at night. This is in the nighttime now. And I was like, God, what kind of surface would they have found in order for fucking to be um, comfortable? Like it looked like a very uncomfortable place. Yeah, well, I'm going to say that. <laughs> so, Angela moves uh, into an apartment with a boyfriend of eight months. Um, her boyfriend's Eric. Yeah, and she had her father visiting her. Yeah, and the first question she asked was, like, do you like the apartment? Yeah, I laughed out loud real, real crazy when she's, she's so deadpan. Because it's, like, fucking enormous. It's so big. Like, I, I think the thing, like, watching movies with Billy has really helped me um, learn the language of a lot of things that I am so unaware of. So often when we're watching a movie, I'm like, he, he often points out um, the size of the rooms in which people live and move about. So I've been, ve- like, I grew up watching films never really questioning the the houses or the space, but when you really look back and see the 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 size of in which a character lives in, the size of the room, it's quite telling. Like, it's just always very ginormous. It's also, I think we, we need, we'll probably need to connect back to, like, something that never really mentioned in the film is uh, what does Angela work There is a scene where Angela is typing on her computer, her computer, uh, and she's facing two um, screens but we never see what she's doing like she, is she a lawyer is she an accountant it's really frustrating what happens now in the film is we see that Ping Wei has decided to take the the hand of the boss's daughter and then they uh, move to immigrate to America now there's a scene where the two young people the couple they're in a taxi and they're on their way to the airport. And um, it was just, it was it was really sad because you knew that they didn't love each other because they didn't know each other. Um, also, Ping Rei was in love with another woman. Um, but it really broke my heart seeing these two people with their really sad faces sitting in the back of a taxi. And I thought that scene was very authentic. And even now, there are plenty of countries at the moment in the world that, you know, practice um, arranged marriages. And this idea of loveless marriage really breaks my heart. Um, you know, I have to remind myself that it's not, it's not something that happened in the past. It's something that still happens every day in so many places in the world that we, we don't, we're not exposed to, you know. Um, and a marriage without love was literally what most of history has been you know it's really shocking to remind yourself of how recent love and marriage was actually a thing how do you think the film deals with the father-daughter relationship i want to talk about the daughter's perspective more because i think it resonated with me a bit more whereas um as a parent that i haven't I don't think that I have gotten to that awkwardness with my kids. <laughs> um, anyway, for, so from the daughter's perspective, I think um, she somehow that she blamed her dad, but she also blamed herself of that miscommunication or no communication at all. Mm. And she also... I believe it will be very hard for her because, like, the identity that she wants to search, you know, and always seeking for the approval and acknowledgement from her dad, um, which is very hard, I think. Um, uh, there was uh, times, I believe, that as a, as a child that, you know, your parents are the first model that you look up to and you pick up so much from them. Mm. You know, whether or not it's a good tray or a bad tray, um, you don't know until that you become an adult. You know, she worked so hard. That's something that's probably definitely something that she picked up from her dad. Mm. But somehow it just 
became something negative in her life because um, perhaps because she's working so hard, she disconnected people around her. Mm. Yeah. Oh, just 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 on that fact, just on that point about the the daughter picking up on sort of mirroring her father's trait of overworking. I think as a woman, she would be penalized in a way that say if she were a son, she wouldn't be penalized for her hard work you know that's very true because there's a conversation i don't know if i'm moving too fast but i want to pick up on what you're talking about now there's a conversation pim ray later um which he was talking about his kids um he was saying that yeah bobby his son is doing great you know he's in a band he's toured he's very successful and then when he's talking about his daughter angela he said oh she's working too hard yeah she's always busy yeah so there's a there's a bias between the two kids, you exactly. know. Yeah. So it's like a double standard. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I don't needs. know whether or not that it's it's very uh, ingrained idea that it's okay for a man to work hard. A man to work very hard because he did he did criticize about you know her partner of being possibly not earning enough. Mm. You know when he was questioning whether or not they can afford an apartment. Eric. Yeah. Who we never hear from. He's voiceless. Yeah, that was a weird scene. Um, yeah, there is a scene um, where the flashback where Angela is perhaps like 12 and she's at a piano recital and then she messes up and afterwards they're in the car, Angela's sitting in the back seat and her dad, and Angela is like crying and then her dad uh, raises his hand and adjusts the rear view mirror and then he says to her, don't cry. Um, um, he basically just repeated what his grandmother was telling him yes. at the very beginning of the film when he was younger. When he was crying about his parents, you know, um, his grandmother said that, you know, yeah. so it's literally just saying that even if you cry to death, it wouldn't help. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of like a very conservative type of emotion suppression. You know, you just have to suppress your sadness because it wouldn't do any good. Yeah. And, like, I feel like a lot of Asian society mistakes stoicism for emotional oppression, I guess, or emotional mutilation. Yeah. And um, that scene where she's sobbing and her dad's telling her off, that was another scene I fucking lost my shit and was blabbering all over my laptop um, because um, Ping Ray uh, replicating word for word what his own grandmother had said. I think for me, it's always been a very beautiful but also heartbreaking thing that I've witnessed happen to a lot of people who come into parenthood and coming into a space where they realize that they're it's unavoidable or inevitable their actions mirroring their own parents and I often hear young parents saying like no matter what I seem to do I the older I get the more I'm beginning to see my own father or my own mother in my own behavior towards my children I know you say it's scary but um I think that's like it's it's one of the reasons I'm so in love with human beings. It's like this attempt of trying to be better, but always reaching. It's that attempt that makes us who we are, and that's such a beautiful thing, you know. As long as you're trying to reach for something, I think that makes you a better person. Yeah, I think with parenting, uh, with our own generation, I'm kind of off track from the show. Um, uh, my opinion is that um, with our current generation, we are getting so much more information and like professional advices. Um, it's true that perhaps we tr- we might pick up our parenting traits from our parents, you know, or from our grandparents, because you think, oh, that's how I've been raised, mm. and I turn out fine, mm. but not really, you mm. know. And this is how I'm going to parent my own child or my own children. But sometimes uh, it doesn't really work. 
you know, it, it works on you, but it possibly wouldn't work on your own kids, you know, because it's every individual is different. Yeah, and another scene that I want to draw our listeners' attention to is the the one scene I think really cracked me open and like I know when I finished watching this I texted hell um and I I texted her saying I cried like through the whole film so many times but this one in particular really broke me and it's a scene where um Ping Ray and his new uh sorry not new um and his wife now in um in America she's now pregnant and they are moving to a a bigger place and so uh, they're in the apartment and she, in her big belly, waddles up to him and carrying the uh, record, the oh, yeah. LPs that he loved and yeah. um, so much part of who he is. Um, and then she asks him, do you want these? Um, and he says to her, uh, no, like throw them away. And it was really heartbreaking for me to see that uh, because – that scene, that moment really signals, you know, him deciding to throw his away. Well, just himself, like the true essence of him, who he is. Yeah. You know, this is, it represents who he, like the, it represents the little boy he was. You know, like when I see a man, I often try and think what kind of a little boy was he because I think there are, you know, not to... I'm not patronizing men, but I just think that inside every little, every inside every man is a little boy, right? Um, just like inside every woman, there's a little girl. Maybe I don't know. I've never thought about that, but I know that often I, I, I kind of, when I meet a man, I'm trying to reach inside who he was before he grew up because yeah, because I know that for I'm just talking about men here in general, but before. The the time between the, a man, a boy grows, the time between a boy becoming a man, he learns so many lessons that society promulgates him. Sorry, that's not the word. He, he learns a lot of lessons that society throw at him uh, that tell him, you know, how to dress and how to speak and how to, yeah, how to treat a woman. Basically, I'm talking about masculinity. And so... um. And so I guess that's why, like, when I, when I am interacting with a man, I'm always trying to think, who is this person um, really at, at his core? And the reason why I think that way, particularly when it comes to my engagement with men as opposed to women, is because women are allowed to go out in the world and talk about their emotions. They're allowed to use the language of, um, you know, um, feelings and... Uh, psychology uh, whereas men are not allowed that men are not allowed to go around and talk about you know what they want well, they deep are, down there, there's no rule saying that men shouldn't be doing it but it's just that if men does it you get punished by the society or something like that yeah yeah but you get turned down yeah, yeah. we're supposed to learn that a man in who is in touch with his emotional um, capacity is somehow lesser you know it's really really fucked up it is so fucked up yeah so um i guess this scene really upset me because i know that our own father he gave up a lot in order to, for us to move to australia and you know this this idea that both my parents abandoned who they were like their their own essence in order f- for their child, for their children to have. Oh, that just like I know people often talk about sacrifice. It's it's a word that's often overused, but um, it just it'll never stop breaking my heart. You know when I that's why I always get really emotional whenever I talk about our parents because in no other space will I ever find two human beings as crazy as what they did for me you know mm-hmm. it's it's just such a it's such a massive thing that I think in Australia um I know with a lot of my white I, I know I know with a lot of my white friends they don't seem to have the same amount of um overwhelming reverence that I feel for my parents 
Yeah, I understand. But that's because Asian parents or at least our parents, they they show their love through actions rather than words, isn't it? Because mm. we don't get a lot of verbal acknowledgement from our parents. You know, it's always like the doing. What happens, I think, as children of migrants is you feel sort of a bit... I know deep down I feel ashamed because I don't think I can ever match that quality of true love or sacrifice. You know, there is no equivalent to that unless I have my own child, you know. But then I'm also conflicted about that because there must be another alternative way of me to live a life where I can show that same amount of love and, and sacrifice without necessarily having... Um, flesh and bone come out of my vagina. So if we're talking about the standard of love, do you think sacrifice is uh, like a, for you, is like a... You mean like an indication of... Yeah. Um, I think it's the, I think it's like the ultimate indication, perhaps. Okay. Yeah, to put yourself aside for someone who you love. I think it breaks my heart. Because we're not taught to do that, in at least in the Western society, um, the cultural upbringing I've had, I know that I have been taught by my feminist sisters to to not do that, to not put someone else before me. I think the restaurant, the the restaurant or the cafe scene yeah. with Pim Ray and Angela was important because I, I <clears throat> picked up a lot of. Um, verbal and body language expressions that <laughs> just I feel sometimes when I was looking at that scene I, I feel like Pierre is just like our dad when we're trying to tell him something yeah. straight face yeah he's straight face and when you ask him for comfort and then he comes back to you saying but what can I say yeah like but- you feel like he's trying to He's trying to mock you, but in reality, he really doesn't know what to say yeah, because exactly. he never really talks about emotion and he probably never deal with this. Well, it's like this. It's like asking someone to jump in the deep end of the, of the, of the swimming pool when they don't know how to swim. Yeah. That's how it feels like, I think. Like you're expecting someone to comfort you with the tools that you know how to be comfort- comforted by, and yet this person does not have those tools. And I think that this is what really breaks my heart about this scene. So this scene um, where Ping Ray asks his daughter out to lunch, and she says to him, um, you've never been the person, she's crying while she's saying this, <laughs> and it was so emotional for me, this scene, I was slobbering as well. She says to him, you've never been the person I wanted you to be. It's so painful. Um and like you said he's completely straight-faced and that scene was like her reaching out and saying like please help me i'm drowning out here in the deep end of the swimming pool but like he he doesn't know how to swim he can't he can't do what she wants from him and it's such a beautiful scene because it reminds me of how often we strive for others to fulfill our expectations for who they for who we think they ought to be for us. So Angela has this idea of what a father ought to be because of her Western upbringing. But the thing is... Because he was in the the so-called similar situation going through the divorce. Yeah, and she just broke up. Yeah, and she assumed that, you know, you had that emotional up and down, so perhaps you can tell me or you have some kind of advice that you can give me to go through this situation. Yeah. But I, I don't think that he ever dealt with emotion properly. So that's why he got stuck. <laughs> so that's why he yeah. didn't know how to answer her or he didn't even know how to comfort her. Because he was never comforted before. That's the thing. You know, yeah. he never was at the receiving end of being comforted. Exactly. He doesn't know how to swim. He doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. It's it's also really important having these scenes sort of depicted that way because, I mean, for me, it taught me that you never know the 
we we kind of we, what we tend to do as humans is bathe in our own misery, and we're so because we hurt so severely and because our wound is so deep, we often end up just dwelling in our own well of misery and not having the ability to come up and really throw ourselves into the shoes of the other person. So like Ping Rei has his own shit that is so repressed and unexamined that he's unable to reach out and pull her out of the deep end of the water, right? And um and it's like it's it's really beautiful and it's also really sad that we expect our parents to know and fulfill these expectations we have without condition. Yeah, because you always think that they are older than you, perhaps they're wiser, but oh, it's never that. the fact. <laughs> it's never like that, yeah. I think I always... Oh, I, just want, I just want to point out that that scene that where they were at the cafe where Angela was full of emotion and she cried. So apparently um, she did that scene very well because uh, she mentioned later when in an interview saying that... Um, it reminded she, she she felt like she was talking because her dad passed away quite recently. Mm. I think it was you know last couple of years. So she she was saying that um, she felt there's a connection that she needs to talk to her dad about this kind of thing, and she her emotion kind of um, came up, and um, perhaps that's how that's why she acted out so well, and. I believe she will, she was probably in a similar situation as Angela because she grew up in um, U.S. while her parents were both in Taiwan, I think. Mm. Yeah, so she's actually the daughter of a very popular, like a pop uh, singer in the 70s mm. and 80s. Yeah. Is so I guess there's a disconnection in her real life with her own father. So... You know, in the, in the film, that she was able to make the connection with that. I think it's funny how I know for myself that I grew up thinking that I was entitled to my parents' most intimate thoughts, because you know, my upbringing in Australia taught me that I was I was entitled to ask my parents to share their views with me and, you know, their emotional landscape was mine to own as well. And, like, just thinking back, I just, I'm a bit embarrassed by how much I expected them to open up to me because I was always a very, and I always have been and I still am a very transparent person. And and I always thought for me, and I still think I, I do think to this, I still think to a certain degree that, obtaining intimacy between two people is communicating through verbal language. But it's something that, you know, um, Asian culture does not practice, I guess, to the same extent. I think it's a very bad trait that I kind of carry um, to my own relationship at the very beginning, which I learned to slowly step away from it. As in not expecting your partner to know what you think. Yeah, yeah. I remember having this turning point when I was around 15 or 16, this uh, altercation with my father when I was having this back and forth with him and I said to him, why don't you tell me what you want? Or like, why don't you communicate with me? Mm-hmm. And he said, I shouldn't have to tell you, you should know. And I was like, my head literally exploded because I was like, who is this man? Like, why can't you compute the fact that the only way we can overcome our conflict is that you open up and tell me what you're thinking? And then he was like, not, not going there, not going there. And it was so deeply frustrating. Like, I, I remember feeling physically, physical pain um, after, during that altercation because it was such a – something clicked in me where I realized – like I'm so different to my dad, and that this bridge perhaps might not ever be crossed. Um, I remember reading it from somewhere um, about Asian parents or just Asian conservative kind of mentality, with the term that I shouldn't have to tell you, you should not. Mm. The person who actually, you know, talks like that is usually the person who does not even know what him himself or herself yeah. wants. Yeah. 
So they're actually throwing back the problem into I love that. Yeah. other people, you know, just, just saying that, just make up your mind or decide something for me. Yeah. And which really creates a problem because if you don't know, you know, you can say you don't know, but if you're too proud of saying that you don't know and you yeah. expect other people to know, yeah, exactly. it really confuses. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are, sh- are like, I'm thinking dad probably wasn't able to articulate what he wanted because he had he led a life of really like my like our mother catering to other people's needs and so they never they were never asked they were never asked what they wanted they they've never um they've never had to they've never had the privilege uh to to delve into their own desires and so it's it's it was for them less shameful and perhaps less vulnerable to like you said throw it back to the other person you know you make up you make up your mind tell me how you want things so that i can it's so it's almost like they know how to fit in to other people as opposed to have other people fit into whatever they want on their can on their own terms you know so do you want to talk about the divorce scene yeah so there's a scene where ping ray is now she he comes home from work he's now older and his wife um she's sitting on the couch and she says um she says i want a divorce she doesn't want to see him anymore yeah and he 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 replies and started an argument saying that i've given everything you want or I think he's saying he's saying that I'm giving you, you know, materially yeah. the house, the car, your clothes. You know, what more would you want? Yeah. I think that's just so typical Asian man. Um, oops, I'm being stereotyped here, but I'm just saying that you know the conservative idea of in, in the marriage is that you know if the, the breadwinner brings home everything and you don't have to do, you don't have to deal with emotional burden. They, they feel like they, they don't have to deal with it. And I think that's where his wife, Zhen Zhen, was looking for. And she was, she, she just basically had enough. She said that she's um, not having the support or the emotional support from him. And I think she also mentioned that he never really helped out with the children, kids. Yeah. yeah, with the children, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the ending. Did you like it? I found it very unsatisfying. And it's also, so what happens is um, Angela asks her father, um, there at the, towards the end of the film, she throws a Chinese New Year, Chinese New Year party at her apartment. And then she's asking her dad, um, what did you do after you broke up with, had your divorce with mom? And she's, he said, uh, he said, I went back to Taiwan. Um, and then they go back and what was really funny was at the end, um, when, when the father, when Pin, Pin Ray takes Angela back to his old home in the, on the farm, um, she, he starts getting emotional and then she places her hand on her father's shoulder and then she starts, and then she says one line in Mandarin. Yeah. She, she asks, um. So the, the Pim Ray finally opens up to her saying that, oh, there, there was a woman. Yeah. You know, before I met your mom. And she said that, what was her name? In Mandarin. I think she said, Oh, yeah, that was so weird. I was like, I was like, where did that come from? Like, for the whole film, we thought that she can't speak Mandarin. Yeah, I, I don't know why they have to, you know, have her speak Mandarin in, I that, know. in that last... That was not that was not necessary at all. I thought it jolted it jolted me. So at the end, he finally opened up and he kind of had a bit of cry. I think I kind of wish we had a close up of his face because you know I, I think we should see more men crying, adult men crying. But like they just like yeah. the camera panned away and we only see him from afar. That was disappointing. Yeah, I think they just expected um, like as a normal social expectation that. Oh, you see him have a bit of soap yeah. that you know that he's in his sadness mode. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think what was his reason to have that thing there, that why he finally opened up and he cried? 
I know. I was thinking that. I kept thinking that. Yeah. I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, "What? What is? What was the reason of him? Why? Why did he cry? Was he? What was he upset about? Was he upset that he left the the girl that he loved? You know, like sixty years, fifty years ago, like or whatever." I'm guessing、or、there's、like、a mixture, mixture of happiness and sadness. I think he is probably.、Um, Not regretting of what he left in Taiwan, but I think also that、um, he probably was regretting that he didn't spend enough time with his mom because there was was one there was one scene that he was asking his mom to come to the US,、yeah. and then his mom was telling him that, oh, but I don't have I don't speak the language there, and I, I don't know, know anyone, anyone there,、yeah. and. Yeah, and Tim Ray was insisting her her going to US, and the the mother finally cracked and saying, cracked up and saying, "But that's what you want. That's not what I want."、Mm. You know, it's it's against. You know, you're trying to place what you want over someone else. I love that. I really love that you brought that up because it makes me realize this whole thing. I've been thinking about this for years and years, and I've never been able to really articulate it until right just now when you've mentioned this. Fact, I think Asians, and I'm obviously generalizing here, but I know as an Asian myself, and having grown up in an Asian family, it's been extraordinarily difficult to articulate our desires because we out the basis of our the basis of our、um, culture、um, and you know our race, I suppose culturally is is. Set up on the premise that you don't ask yourself what you want, is that you serve others, and that your life is a series of duties that you accomplish in order to be accepted by not just the people whom you are betrothed to, not just your family members, but also amongst greater society. And I guess, like I was going to say, especially women, right? Especially women who have been taught to forego their desires and dreams、um, for the family, but. I actually might challenge myself in saying that、um, men are equally as restrained.、Uh, men, men are equally as oppressed、um, because they have to meet a lot of different, a lot of、um, standards and ways of being that are so、um, mutilating, right, to who they are as a whole human being. Like I often, I I used to grow up thinking. How incredible my life would be if I was a boy, because I remember going through these list of things in my head as a young girl and like crossing things off immediately because I knew I wasn't meant to do that as a girl. So, for instance, like skateboarding, not can't do that, or like、um, going around topless, can't do that、um, because I'm a girl. And but but the the older I get and the more relationships I have with men, I realize that they are just as It is so shitty to be a man.、Yeah. Like it can be really shitty because you don't get to be a whole human being. Uh huh. Uh huh. Definitely. I think what、um, there's another review、uh, in Polygon,、uh, written by Karen Han.、Um, she said in her words, she said that Pin Ray's choice、uh, is to put responsibility and practicality over his own desires. I think that's so true. Yeah. And. Especially when, then you know, in our parents' generation, you have a very firm、um, pressure coming from not only the society but also from the elderly as well, saying that、um, your own desire is a sin. You know, you yeah, shouldn't. Totally. You shouldn't go towards your desires. You should. Look at your own responsibility and what you should be doing for your family. And I think in the film that you know, Pin Ray, he's always thought that, oh yeah,、um, his own, his objective was to you know take his mum out of that factory work because it's such a hard and dangerous job.、Mm. And he had a like a, I don't know, so-called heroic dream, I guess. You know, everything's brighter over there. Yeah, but eventually the mother says that. But that's what you want, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard to. I think it. 
it might speak to the whole reason behind the general and lazy stereotype of Asians having no personality. It's because we haven't had the privilege. We haven't been given the space to ask ourselves what we want as individuals, you know? I think it's also... Uh, uh, I don't know if privilege is the word to use, but I would say it's more like the some half of them is emotional blackmail and half of them is like... It's, I don't know if it's in the genes, you know, you still feel like you should <laughs> just do what had, what your parents has expected. Yeah. And it's very complicated. Yeah, it's so hard to, I think it, it might speak to the whole reason behind the general and lazy stereotype of Asians having no personality. It's because we haven't had the privilege. We haven't been given the space to ask ourselves what we want as individuals, you know? Mm. And well, I think we're progressing, you know, with all a lot of Asians, you know, exposed to different types of culture and different types of different standards of love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it's progressing. It's so complicated because how do you extract yourself from decades and decades of being taught that this is the only way in order to be loved and to be accepted? And and this is why everyone should go and watch Tiger Tail, not because it's necessarily the most artistic film made, but because of, you know, the discussions that have opened up between you know, me and Helen and I'm sure so many, millions and millions of Asian Asians living in um, the Western zones across the world sharing these kind of experiences of immigration. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, there's more on our Facebook page, Asian Bitches Down Under. You can always write us at asianbdownunder at gmail.com. And make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Till next time, be safe and eat well. You know, we we should also speak Mandarin.